Do it again. What's up, Summit? Y'all acting like promise last night? And some of y'all were at a concert, and the rest of y'all were just hungover. That's what y'all acting like. My goodness, man. It's awesome to see everybody. Hey, my name is Mark. If it's your very first time, I'm the lead pastor here, and we're uh, just honored to have you, just like Dana said. And I, I really want to uh, just uh, tell you honestly uh, that, listen, if today's your first time or it's your hundredth time being here, I want you to know that we have prayed for you and that we have eagerly anticipated you being here today. So we have just been getting ready uh, today for you to be here and what God might speak into your life today. And uh, I'm going to pray before we jump in uh, to the sermon this morning. But I want to say, hey, if you have been coming for a while, or maybe you're brand new and you're thinking, man, I would love to get connected, maybe meet a couple of people. How can I do that? You know, a great way to do that is join what we call a life group. Life groups are small groups that get together. Most of them get together here at the Forum, honestly, and they go through a book of the Bible or some kind of thing or whatever. They just sit around. They talk about God. They talk about life. They, a lot of them eat together and have fun, just hang out. And um, mine tonight, I'm starting a brand new life group tonight, 6 o'clock in the multipurpose room. It's where kids meet. Uh, and uh, I let a lot of my group, uh, a lot of some people that were in my group a couple weeks ago vote on what we wanted to do next. And they voted on going, uh, talking about the book of Revelation. And so tonight at 6 in the multipurpose room, my life group's going to start a series through the book of Revelation. It's going to be awesome. We'll talk about how to stockpile part of your home with beanie weenies, and uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be so fun. Um, so, uh, so I'm going to pray, and uh, man, let's dive in this morning. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray. All right, look at somebody next to you and say, and say, get excited. We're at church. And then do this. Just do this. Just go, Woohoo! That's good. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that your word is true, God. We're, we're about to open up the Bible. Some people are going to open it up on their phone. Some people have a copy with them. Some people are going to look at the words on the screen. And God, I thank you that these aren't uh, just words on a page. This isn't a book that somebody simply put together. Uh, God, we believe this is your word, your voice on a page. And God, we want to hear from you today. We, we don't want to just come to church and just say, well, that was over, and then go have lunch. God, we, we want to meet with you. And, and God, we, we pray that you would uh, just do something significant in this time. God, help me. Uh, God, and I pray that I would just kind of fade into the background, uh, Jesus, that when we all leave, you would be the biggest person in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Uh, a couple of days ago, I, got to, I had to get some new glasses uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, no, seriously, you don't have to tell me I look good. I know. Um, and uh, I had to get some new glasses uh, a couple weeks ago. I've worn glasses since I was in the third grade. And I remember the, the very first uh, pair of glasses that I bought, uh, I, I've actually done a lot of work to make sure that all pictures of me in the third grade with glasses are removed from the earth. Uh, because uh, my, the first pair of glasses that I had, they really weren't glasses. They were actually aquariums in a frame. Do you know what I mean? Like they were so thick, so massive, I honestly don't know why my parents hated me during those early years that they would let me go out like that. Uh, but but I, I just, I can't see without my glasses. I just, uh, uh, literally, um, I can't see anybody in this room. Now I know who's sitting in the front, but you guys just became a big blur to me. Like I can't tell you, and you people in the back, no offense, you're not real. Like I don't even know if you're there right now. I, I can't see anything without my glasses. But when, But when I put them on, Everything comes back into focus. I mean, I, I can see everybody from the front to the back. I can see everybody, you know. So I'm just always, you know, every so often I'm just thinking about my vision and I have to go to the eye doctor just to make sure that, you know, things are good and uh, things like that. But, but you know, I was, I was thinking a couple of weeks ago as I was putting this uh, together, what we were going to talk about today. You know, vision is one of those things, we just kind of take it for granted, don't we? 
Don't we just kind of take vision for granted? I mean, you, you wake up and you open your eyes and you can just see and you don't really think about it, a lot of, a lot of you. Or you wake up, you open your eyes and you put your glasses on and then, uh, and then you're okay, you're, you're ready to go. And, and, and I understand, I understand that people interact with the world in, in different ways, uh, but vision matters, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Vision matter? I mean, I mean, it matters. It's, it's important that you see what's happening around you, isn't it? It's important that you know where you're going. And the reason it's important is because vision matters. Can we all say those two words with me together? So let's all say them out loud. Vision matters. And in fact, that's all I want to talk to you about today. I just want you to get that point. So when you go to Circle T, wherever you're going to go today, what did the guy uh, Summit talk about? He just told us that vision matters. That's what we're going to talk about today, especially today. Especially today. I want us to know that vision matters. Because today, we are talking about sexual purity. Exactly. Nobody got excited. Nobody chest bumped their neighbor. Nobody was like, I've been waiting. Yes. You just were like, what? What did he say? Sexual purity. Now, some of you, you checked out instantly because here's what some of you said in the room. In the room, some of you heard that and you said sexual purity. Listen, listen, listen. That is dumb. It's dumb. It's outdated. It's oppressive. It hurts people. I mean, I mean that's, just, that's just a dumb, old thing, sexual purity. And listen, listen, if you're here and you think that, I want you to know today, listen, I'm glad that you're here. Okay, we started this church not for people who have, have it all together, not for people who have all the answers. We started this church for broken people, for people who have questions, people that might not even believe in God, don't know if God is real, but maybe somebody just brought you or you're on the journey. And so if you're sitting there and you're thinking, listen, this whole idea of sexual purity, bro, I don't even know what you're going to say. I think I might know, but I'm convinced it's stupid before you even start. Listen, hey, if you're here and that's what you think, I want you to know that I'm excited that you're here. But here's my question. If that's true, that, that just that whole idea of sexual purity, it's dumb, it's outdated, it's oppressive, it only hurts people. If, that's, if, if all that's true, then why are, why are so many people who sexually are just doing whatever they want to and the culture just tells us to, to live and experiment and be and do whatever we want to, why are so many people who are doing those hurt, lonely, They've had negative things happen to them. In fact, instead of it bringing good into everybody's life, just constant sexual freedom for a lot of people, it's devastating to their lives. So maybe we can all find common ground on simply the fact that, you know what, there needs to be a better way. Because today we're going to talk about sexual purity, and I think that we'd all agree, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or you're an atheist, I think we'd all agree, wouldn't we, that the culture is getting far and far, further and further away from the Bible. Wouldn't we all agree with that? The, the culture is getting further and further away from the Bible. And again, there's a great number, of, there's, a, there's a good crowd here, some of you are new faces, you might think that's a good idea, you might think that's a great thing. Others of you might think, that, might think that's horrifying. You might be scared to death of the fact that the culture is moving further and further away from the Bible. And, and can I just be honest with you this morning? You know, you know what I think is scarier? I think what's scarier, honestly, I think what's scarier are Christians who some have grown up in church their entire lives. A lot of them know the Bible uh, be- better than I would, better than a lot of people. I think what's scarier, actually, than the culture moving further and further away from the Bible are Christians who are convinced that the reason the culture got this way is because the wrong political party was in office, and the solution is to get the right 
political party in office. That's scarier to me. Because here's what you need to know. Just like I'm broken because of sin and you're broken because of sin, the culture is broken because of sin. And what that means for us is that culture needs two things. Culture, number one, needs Jesus. Needs Jesus. It doesn't need a Republican in office, and we're not bashing Republicans. Or a Democrat in office, not saying anything against Democrats, independents. It's not about a political party. No, what culture needs, first and foremost, if Jesus is who he says he is, and I'm convinced he is. If he is who he says he is, then first and foremost, what the culture needs, the culture needs Jesus, period. But do you know what the, do you know what the second thing that culture needs? The, the culture's second, second, uh, second thing, let me, let me set it up a little bit. The second thing the culture needs, the culture doesn't need Christians to yell louder. Nobody amen that. I would have amen that. Um, so far, this sermon's amazing. Um, the culture doesn't need Christians to yell louder. I mean, haven't we been yelling loud for a long time? And it, it's not working, guys. Right? It's not working. It's not working. You know, what, you know what the culture needs? One, Jesus. But two, culture needs for Christians, the church. Culture needs the church to be who God says that we are. Not, not in a proud way, not in an arrogant way, not in a way that we think we're better than other people, but in a humble way, in a way that shows we've been forgiven by God and we don't deserve it. Hello. Hello. Five people are here today. Um, but, it, but, but to be who God says that we are. See, when we, come, when we talk about sex and what the Bible says, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. You know, Jesus talked about sex and marriage. I don't know if you knew that or not. A lot of people think Jesus never talked about those things. Jesus did in Matthew 19. It should be up on the screen here. Matthew 19, 5 and 6, this is Jesus. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And Jesus is, is saying, listen, this is what God did from the beginning, and this is still God's standard. We didn't make this up. We didn't have a committee meeting and say, all right, this is what we'll believe. No, this is what God did. This is what Jesus affirmed, is that God created sex. It's a good thing in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. I mean, that, that's what Jesus just said. Let, let, me, let, me show you, uh, let me show you another set of verses when it talks about sexual purity. Look at this, verses 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Do you see what he says there? He, he said, he's talking to a church, and he says, church, listen, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Church, listen, you are not your own. Church, listen to me, listen to me, lean in. You were bought with a price. That is who you are. So don't settle for anything less than who you are. Don't sell out for a few moments of pleasure and walk away from God's vision. Why should you flee sexual immorality? Because look at who you are. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is vision. That is vision. 
And vision, what's our word? Matters. Vision matters. See, in this series, we've been studying a guy by the name Samson. A lot of you know uh, Samson. You've heard some things about him. Samson was a Nazarite. A Nazarite is somebody that, that was separated unto God for service. They wanted, to have, they wanted to live their life completely for God. And so a Nazarite, in the time of Samson, they were a person that made three vows. One is they would never touch anything dead. Samson broke this. He killed a lion, then went back to its dead body. And you can read about that or listen to past sermons on our app. Another vow is they'd never drink alcohol. Samson's about to marry a woman in Judges 14, has a bachelor party, breaks that vow. Third vow is they would never cut their hair. So when they walk down the street, everybody would know just by visibly looking at their hair, wow, that person is a Nazarite. See, here was Samson's problem, though. Samson, God had a vision for Samson's life. He was going to be a Nazarite. Remember in Judges 13, we saw it the first week of this series, God said that Samson is going to be the guy who's going to begin to deliver Israel from their enemies, the Philistines. And so God had a big vision for Samson's life. But you know what Samson's problem was? Samson looked around at his buddies who were doing other things, and he felt like he was missing some stuff. I mean, they look like they're having way more fun than I am. I mean, it looks like they're just doing some really cool stuff. And so Samson's problem, he just kept bucking up against the vision that God had for his life. And so in Judges 16, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible, open it up on your phone. It's going to be on the screen here behind me. In Judges 16, this is Samson's last-ditch effort to run from God. This is Samson's last-ditch effort. Effort. I mean, he's going to go all in at running away from the call of God on his life. So here we go. Judges chapter 16. Judges 16, look at verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Look at verse 4. I don't know if verse 4 is on the screen. If it's not, so don't worry about it. But you can read it. I'll read it to you. Just stay right there on the screen. After this... He loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Maybe you've heard of her. And the lords of the Philistine came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and and, and we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how how you might be bound so that one could subdue you. See, Samson still had this amazing supernatural strength strength because there was one vow that he hadn't broken. He hadn't cut his hair. And so the Philistines come to Delilah. Delilah was a Philistine woman. God had already told Samson, don't, Samson and all the Israelites, don't marry any Philistines. They're your enemies. They only want to hurt you and harm you. They don't want to do, any, do anything good for you. But Samson does it anyway. They come to Delilah and say, listen, we need to know why this guy's so strong so we can take him down, so we can kill him, find out what makes him so strong. And so every night before they go to bed, Delilah begins to just, just, just really, get, really start nagging all over Samson. Tell me what makes you so strong. Tell me what makes you so strong. And so Samson tells her a series of three lies. Says, hey, well, you know what makes me so strong? And, and so he begins to tell her a series of lies. Like one lie he tells her is, is if, if anybody, while I'm asleep, they take some fresh new rope tied around me, uh, then I'll lose all my strength. And so, so, so she tells the Philistines, hey, he said if you try some new rope around him and you break, you break in, tie some new rope around him, that'll take all the strength, you can kill him. So they break in, they tie the new rope around him, and then he breaks loose and he hulks out on him, kills them all. And and they just keep doing this every single night. Every single night, she's just nagging and nagging and nagging and trying to figure out how, to say, how is Samson so strong. But he's lying to her. He won't tell her. And then verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You don't love me. Fellas, you ever heard that? 
You've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, means she's just nagging, wah, 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 and urged him, his soul was vexed to death, means he was annoyed. And he told her all his heart, and he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him fall asleep on her knees. That's weird. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Bro, this this guy must be a deep sleeper. You shave my head while I'm sleeping, I'm waking up. That's all I got to say. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in prison. See, this whole thing would have been avoided. Had Samson surrendered to the vision that God had for his life? Had, had Samson said, listen, God, if that's who you say that I am, then that is who I am. Had Samson surrendered to the vision that God had given him for his life, then this whole thing could have been avoided. Instead, what we've got is Samson captured in prison. It can't get any worse for Samson. And here's what you need to see. You need to see that vision matters. See, you need a vision for your life. You you need a vision for your life that that captures your heart, that captures your mind, that captures your affections, your imaginations. It it, it acts as the North Star, the, the big directive in your life. You need a vision in your life. In fact, because vision matters so much, and it could have been the thing that kept Samson on course, we need a vision of three things I want us to see this morning. You and I need a vision of three things. This morning, first thing we need a vision of, we need a vision of who we are. We need a vision of who we are. I mean, this whole thing, like I said, could have been avoided had Samson hit the pause button and said, wait a second, I am a Nazarite. I am a man of God. And because God has a vision for my life, because I am a man of God, I am not going to go here. I am not going to do that. I am a man of God. God, you need a vision of who you are. I love what Ephesians chapter 5 says. Look at this verse here. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3, it says this. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among who? God's people. See, if you grew up in church and I said today that we're going to have a sermon on sexual purity, a lot of you probably thought that was 45 minutes of me yelling at you saying, save yourself sexually until marriage. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. He's nasty, she's nasty, wait until you get married. Some of you thought that. You know why you thought that? Because you're convinced that's how the Bible talks. You're convinced somebody told you that the Bible is simply a list of commands. God says, do this, do this, do this. Do, 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 do. And listen, God is not simply giving us commands. Instead, God is telling us who we are. 
Every single time, listen, and that's how it always works in the Bible. If you want to do a Bible study to take your knowledge of the Bible, your experience with God and his word to another level, every single time you see the Bible give a command, either before or after it, God casts a vision of who they are so that because of who they are, they can do what God says. How did the Ten Commandments start? You know how the Ten Commandments start? They start this way. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery from Egypt. That's how they start. And then the Ten Commandments follow. Why? Because God is saying, you're mine. See, he says here, let there be no sexual immorality in your life because it doesn't have such a place for God's people. I want to say to every child, I want to say to every teenager, man, woman in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the people of God. You are. You are the people of God. Well, I don't feel like it. Listen, God has not left who he says you are up to you and me. Did you hear what I just said? Some of you are asleep. Slap your neighbor. Punch your neighbor in the gut. Right? Come on now. God hasn't left who he says you and I are up to our decisions, up to our feeling. We are who God says we are, and we can't change it. The devil can't change it. Once God places his stamp of approval on your life and says, you are mine, that is who you are. First and foremost, first and foremost, you are not your job. You are not your sexual desires. You are not who somebody said you were 20 years ago. You're not who people say you were now. First and foremost, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a son or daughter of God. That is who you are. I want to say, listen, listen, I want to say to every man in this room, men, 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 look at me right now. Look at me. I want to say to every man in this room, you are a man of God. If you are a follower of Je- if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, men, you're a man of God. I don't feel like you're, I don't, well, Mark, I don't feel like I am. Doesn't matter. That's who God says you are. Let everyone else be a liar. Let every other voice be a liar. The devil's a liar. And listen, if you're saying otherwise than what God says, you're a liar. You're a man of God. If you're a Jesus follower, men. And you know what's good news? You don't have to be perfect to be a man of God. You don't got to be perfect to be a man of God. You know what you have to do to be a man of God? You have to make the decision that I'm going to be a man of God. And you make that decision every single day. You make the decision, I'm going to be a man of God for my school. I'm going to be a man of God from the place that I work at. I'm going to be a man of God for my family. I'm going to be a man of God. And listen, when you blow it, when you mess up, because we all will, we'll all fall short. You know what you get to do? Because grace and mercy are new every morning, you can make the decision the next day. Today, I'm going to be a man of God. Might have lost my attitude with the kids last night and said things I shouldn't have said, but today's a new day. There's new grace for today. I'm going to be a man of God today. I'm going to walk with Jesus today. Men, you can do that. Men, you can do that. Ladies, ladies, ladies. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a woman of God right now. You're a woman of God. And you know what's good news, ladies? You don't have to be perfect to be a woman of God. You simply make the decision that I'm going to be the woman, I'm going to be the lady, I'm going to be the woman that God wants me to be. I'm not going to let myself be defined by what the culture says might define somebody. I will be defined by who Jesus Christ 
says that I am. And first and foremost, he says that I am his daughter, that you are his child. See, Jesus doesn't come to simply give us salvation and the hope of heaven and wait till we die. No, Jesus gives us the hope of, uh, the hope of salvation, but he also gives us a brand new identity. I am his. Right? That's why, listen to me, if you are here today and you have never met Jesus Christ, you've never given your life to him, I want to tell you that today, right now, you can walk out of here, you'll still look the same, some of those same problems will still follow you out of that door. But Jesus Christ, because he defeated death, hell, and the grave, he is alive right now. He has the ability right now today in this room to meet you, to transform you, so that you can walk out of those doors in just about 15 minutes and say, I will never be the same because Jesus has changed me. I'm his child. That can happen for you today. You, but you need a vision of who you are. You need a vision of who you are. Whoa, 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 I don't care what the world says. I am first and foremost who the risen Jesus Christ says I am. Men, we are men of God. Amen? Amen. Women, you are women of God. Amen? Amen. Don't be afraid of it. Own it. Own it. I want you to say it out loud. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to say it and declare it out loud over your life. I am, say it with me, I am a child of God. Say it one more time. I am a child of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is who you are, a child of God. you got to have a vision of who you are. But see, that will lead to the second thing you need a vision of, a vision of who you're not. A vision of who you are will lead to a vision of who you're not. See, Samson was told by God, God, listen, Samson, don't you go out with, don't you date, don't you marry these Philistine women and in Two or three chapters, Samson has been with three different Philistine women. Two in chapter 16 and a different one in chapter 14. And, and see, what Samson was trying to do is everywhere God put a no, Samson tried to put a yes. Listen, if, would you remember something for me and never forget it? Do you remember this? If you're looking for a tattoo, here it is. I need you to remember this. I need you to remember this. Boundaries are a blessing. Boundaries are a blessing. There is somebody in this room right now, you have asked God for something over and over and over and God has not done it and he's told you no and you're ticked off and what you don't know, what you've forgotten rather, is that God is bigger than you and he sees further down the road than you do and so you've been asking God to do this, open up a door, give you this opportunity, whatever it might be and God is in heaven saying, listen, listen, I know what you're wanting but if I gave this to you, this would happen so I love you so much, I'm gonna say no to you because I don't want you to get hurt by that. Just because God says no to you, Christian, just because God says wait a minute on something that you desire doesn't mean that you did anything bad. It doesn't mean that God is angry. Your heavenly Father might be watching out for you, right? I mean, boundaries can be the difference between life and death. There is a reason we do not let our children play in traffic, right? And if you are, stop it. Boundaries are a blessing. If, if married people, if you're married, if you're married, that marriage that you're in, it is meant to be a blessing. It is a boundary that's meant to be a blessing. So let me just be very honest with you. If you're married, if you're married, God's will for you is not another man or woman that's married to somebody else. Hello. Right? It's not. It's not. Well, it feels right. Surely if we feel this way, then, it, then God's in it. No, you've got gas. You're just, you, not, just lay off the Taco Bell. That's what you need to do. No, that's not, no. I don't care how you feel. 
I don't care how you've justified this. Why are we going to say no? Because that's not who we are. We are men and women of God. Amen? And I would rather have a close walk with Jesus and experience his freedom than a close walk with sin and experience regret. I would. I would. So I'm not going to text something to another woman or another man that's not my spouse that I shouldn't be texting to somebody else, that I shouldn't be texting somebody, right? I'm not going to talk that. Listen, there's this person at work that makes you feel, feel a way that your spouse hasn't made you feel in years, and you know what? I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to cut that relationship off, ship off before it goes somewhere that it doesn't need to go. I'm not going to do that. There, there's a boundary in my life, and that boundary is called marriage. And listen, marriage is hard. Amen? Don't look at them, but amen, right? Right? I mean, you get two fallen people together. Sometimes marriage is great, and sometimes it's like UFC. And, and so... See, yeah, I mean, it needs prayer, it needs work, it needs counseling. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But you know what? Marriage is meant to be a blessing. I'm going to live within God's boundary and experience God's blessing in this relationship. Hey, if you're single, if you're single, a vision of who you are. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. Man, that can keep you from dating a loser. Right? Right? See, there's some married people in here, and you're sitting there wishing, why didn't he preach his sermon three years ago? Hello. Right? Because they know. <sighs> right? I promise you, if you're single today, that boundary is meant to be a blessing. I know everybody walks up to you, and every time they see you, they ask you, when are you going to get married? And you want to punch them. And listen, if you punch them, Jesus will forgive you. I mean, you'll still go to heaven. You know, but, but, I promise you that boundary is meant to be a blessing. Promise it is. And, and, and maybe you can think about it this way. Instead of, and keep praying for God to bring that person, that man, that woman into your life. Say, I'm single, I want to get married someday. Keep praying for the one. But listen, don't, don't spend so much time focusing on the one that you're not becoming the one. Do you know what I mean? That you're not becoming the man that God wants you to be. You're not becoming the woman that God wants you to be. So you need a vision of who you are and at least to a vision of who you're not. That's why Proverbs says this verse, I believe, 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people what? People perish. People make bad decisions. People make a decision. They cross the line and they regret it. They try to cover things up, but we're not going to do that. Why? Because we are men and women of God. You need a vision of who you are. You need a vision of who you're not. And you need a vision, number three, last thing and we're done, of what matters most. You need a vision of what matters most. I think verse 20 is the scare, one of, rather, the scariest verses in the Bible. Look at verse 20 again. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. Watch this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago as I put this together and I asked myself, would I know if God left me? Would you know? If the presence of God was withdrawn from your life, would you even flinch? Or just go about your life like you always did. I just thought of this question that I want to ask our church. I might be up on the screen, but I just want to ask this question. What matters most to you? What, what matters most to you? 
And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, my kids do. My kids matter most. That's great. My job does. My job matters most. I love my career and where it's going to take me to, the opportunity. That's awesome. That's great. My health matters most to me. That's great. That's, that's great. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But did you know that Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? So your kids are the most important thing. I've got three. I'm going to keep all of them. I love them. But, but Jesus is just pressing in a little bit. And he says, hey, what good is it if you give those kids everything that they ever wanted and you protect them from everything that could ever hurt them and you give them every opportunity and they get into the best schools and they make the best grades and then they get the best job and then they just go about life and they're just amazing citizens. What happens if you do that? Then you die and for the first time you realize, oh my gosh, I have a soul. Oh, what happens if you... You just get that awesome job and you climb the corporate ladder and man, you make all the money and then you write books and you speak at leadership conferences and you're influential not just in your sphere, you're influential around the globe and then you die. You realize, oh my gosh, I've got a soul. I had a book contract and I had a million dollar house and I had a lot of Twitter followers, but I had a soul. What happens if you eat clean, you work out all the time, and you you constantly watch your body, and, and you're constantly taking care of yourself? Those things are great, but what happens if you do all of those things? You are the picture of health, and then you die, and you realize, I had a soul. I want to say to you today that Jesus Christ loves you. And if you have never met him, if you have never experienced his grace, if you don't have a relationship with him, I want you to know today that today he wants to save you. He wants you to walk out those doors in just a moment and say, you know what, my soul is well. It is taken care of. I am with Jesus. I've got a relationship with him. I don't have it all together, but I belong to him. If you are not a Christian, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, in just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, save you, and I promise that he will. But if you're a Jesus follower, what matters most to you? How important is the presence of God in your life? What matters most to you? Maybe as you've been hearing this, God has been speaking to your heart and God has been saying, listen, 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 it's time to come back to me. It's time to put me back at the center of who you are. Or maybe you've been listening to this and you've just, your, your heart's desire, your prayer has been, God, would you burn this into me, who I am, that I am a man of God, that I am a woman of God. Would you never let me forget that? Would you never let me take, a, take your presence in my life for granted? Never, never do. Listen, there is nothing worse. There is nothing worse than the presence of God being withdrawn from your life. There's nothing worse. And just the, the question that it brings, Mark, you tell us every week that God will never leave us. How did he leave Samson? Let me tell you what, let me tell you what happens, and we gotta move on. Samson just keeps running from God, and running from God, and running from God, and then God finally in heaven says, listen, Samson, if you think that's gonna satisfy you, you can have it. And it won't, and it didn't. Samson, if you think that sex with that girl is gonna fulfill you and satisfy you, 
You can have that girl. Go ahead. You can do it. And it won't. The worst thing that God could ever do to somebody is to give them exactly what they want. That's the worst thing that God could ever do to somebody. That's why today you need to pray, God, don't you ever let me forget who I am. I'm gonna say one more thing and then I promise I'm done because somebody's been listening to this sermon, this entire one about sexual purity and you're thinking, I've already blown it. I've already blown that, Mark. I've, Mark, I've already messed up. So if that's, if that's what you're talking about, I guess, I guess there's nothing for me, is there? I want to say that there is something for you. I quit reading on purpose at verse 21. Can I read verse 22? It sets up next week, but look at verse 22. It's going to be on the screen. Verse 22 simply says this, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Say, wow, Mark, that's weird. Let me tell you what that means. God says, Samson, if you want that girl, go ahead. God knew what was going to happen to Samson. They shaved his head. They're, they're going to kill him. We're going to see it next week. They arrest Samson. And you know what begins to happen? Samson's hair begins to grow back. You know why that's a big deal? Because Samson was a Nazarite. And, the, and, and his hair represented God's presence in his life. And when his hair begins, begins to grow back, you know what it says to every single one of us? It says that no matter where we go or what we do, there is always grace. There always is. There is always forgiveness. There is always mercy. Listen, I love, I love Jesus so much. And one of the reasons I love him is because Jesus isn't looking at me or anybody today and saying, hey, why don't you do better? Why don't you try harder? Why don't you suck it up? Why don't you quit doing that? Jesus isn't saying that to anybody today. Jesus, the invitation from him today is simply this. Just come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me if you're broken. Come to me if you're hurting. Come to me if you went too far. Come to me if you forgot who you are. Come to me if you want to be reminded. Just come. Just come. Just come to him. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Jesus today. To ask him to remind us who we are. Or to change us for the first time. Just stand with me for closing prayer. Stand with me. We're going to pray, and I've asked John to come out here and sing a chorus that we sang earlier. He's just going to sing one chorus, and I want us all to sing it. Don't leave. Please don't leave. We're going to do one thing here. We're going to sing this chorus again, just simply the chorus. God, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our soul to another. Right? Give us clean hands because, because we're your people and we want to walk with you. So God, that's our commitment today. That's our prayer that God, you would remind us who we are. Give us clean hands and a pure heart this morning. John, lead us in singing that chorus. Give us clean hands. Let's sing it, church. Sing it out. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, oh God. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another.
Everybody bow your head, close your eyes. Father, that's our prayer today. We want to be reminded of who we are. We want to be men and women that walk with you. If you're here today and you've got a relationship with Jesus and that's your prayer, say, say, I want God to remind me of who I am. Just raise your hand up right now so we can pray for you. Hands are going up all over this room. I want, I want to be reminded I'm a man of God. Raise your hand. Be reminded I'm a woman of God. Raise your hand. Hands are up all over this room. Ask God right now. Ask God right now. Burn that into me. God, burn into me who I am. I am yours. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you're here today and you need Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you, Right now is the opportunity for you to, to reach out and to ask him to, and he will. You want to be saved today? I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and you can just pray this prayer silently where you're at. Say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for sin, and come into my life and save me. I give my life to you today for the first time. Jesus, thank you that you beat death for me so that I can live for you. Help me to do it from this moment forward. I love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. No one is looking around. No eyes are open. But listen, if you just prayed to give your life to Jesus Christ, all I want you to do today is I'm going to count to three. And as soon as I say three, I'd just love for you to raise your hand really high so that I can see it and celebrate with you. One, two, three. Raise your hand right now. If today's the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time, raise it really high. There's two hands right here. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just go ahead and slip your hand up really high so that we can pray for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? I want you. I want everybody in this room to look at me. I want everybody in this room to look at me. Go ahead and put your hands down. Everybody look at me. Church, let's celebrate. We just saw two people give their life to Jesus Christ. Dozens and dozens of hands went up to say, I want to be who God says I am. I want to be reminded of it. Now, here's what I would ask you to do, okay? When you walked in today, we gave you a connection card, and that connection card it's just a great way for us to meet you. If you're a first, second-time guest, we'd love for you to take that card to the welcome table. We've got a free gift for you. But wait a second. If you raised your hand today, say that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. On the back of that card, there's a box that says, I gave my life to Christ. I want you to check that box. And right now, they've already gotten ready because we've got amazing volunteers. We've got volunteers all over this auditorium with baskets. You can drop those cards in there. Hey, listen, every Tuesday at our staff meeting, we pray individually over every single card. If you've got a prayer request, way we can serve you, write it on that card. I'll say this, next Sunday, next Sunday, right now, we're planning on doing Baptism Sunday. And we've got three people I know of, maybe probably more, hopefully, that are, that are, that are wanting to be baptized. If you know you need to be baptized, check it on the back of that card. Let's get dunked next week. I promise nobody's going to drown. It's going to be awesome. All right? Man, was it good to, be, good to be here today, man? Let's give God praise. Let's give God praise. Summit, I love you guys so much, man. I just love being a part of this church. Hey, if you're new, love to meet you at the welcome table. But if you made a decision today, put it on the back of that card and turn those in before you leave. Love you guys. You're dismissed.